I have to be honest, I am delaying a little bit because there is a new group that's coming. Is it next week? I hope it's next week. And we were told to finish up old topics and begin something new with the new group. So if I would begin a new topic uh, earlier, I would be in the middle by the way they come. So in a sense, I am delaying uh, for the new group. Uh, but I hope, uh, you know, you don't think I have OCD or something. I, I'm not obsessive compulsive about this particular topic. But it is interesting, and we have, uh, this is the last class on it. So I, 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 I promise you we will go on to something else. Yeah. I'm sorry? The new students are coming next week. Oh. next week. Well, e- e- either way, uh, you know. It's e- a week from today. I don't want, I don't want to prolong your agony. So this, this is the last year in this uh, Topic, and I'll think of something oh, in, the, in oh, case. Yeah, sorry. No, yeah. There, there be a class oh, okay. But either way, that's, that's why I, I, I normally I normally do not spend as much time on a particular topic as this. But you know, I, it is an interesting topic. It's an important one, so it's not like uh, God forbid we're not wasting the time. Yeah. My sister had a crazy question. Yeah. Um, at first, I was like, "This is just insane," but I'll ask you and see what you would say. Yep. She asked if one of a couple were to be on like a space exploration mission and then you get like trapped in orbit of another planet or something and be <laughs> This is very specific. Wow. Yeah, my sister's kind of nuts. But this is like, <laughs> but her question was if a person is presumed to be alive, actually. Yes. But also presumed to not ever be returning to Earth. Yep. Um, would that other person be an Agun slash Agunath? Yes, that's a very, very difficult situation uh, because, you know, uh, unfortunately, uh, there would be an Agun until you assume that they would be dead. So after 120 years, you can, you can allow it. Assuming yeah, so this person. The other person is probably not alive either. <laughs> right. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's, that's a very difficult. I mean, listen, you know, you're coming up with, the, your sister's coming up with a crazy case, but I mean, this is the problem with missing in action soldiers. I mean, this is a problem with a lot of people. This was a problem of concentration camp victims uh, after 9-11. So, so there are realistic applications, but that's a real issue. Right, but this because is like, we don't have a brief, them to come back to Earth. Yeah, I know, I know. But, uh, <laughs> you know, even so, as long as they're alive, unless you take the position, if you're in outer space, you're not alive anymore. But that, as far as I know, you'd be considered alive. So uh, you'd be, unfortunately, that would be a very difficult uh, situation. Thank you. We'll very much appreciate Now, there's a gen- <laughs> Okay. Well, she's planning on sending her <laughs> boyfriend to out of space. <laughs> okay. uh, yeah, that's one, one way to get rid of him. But anyway, the thing is... Uh, but the thing is that uh, there's another Shaila, which maybe we'll give another share on. Are you chayev to keep mitzvos when you're not uh, within the Earth's orbit? Because the Tyra was given for Earth, uh, so even if you're in the outer space, is part of Earth. Well, that's the di- not 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 it's part of the universe. Yes. Yeah. No, of course, of course. But that's the question: Is the Tyra given to the universe, or is the Tyra given to the Earth and the atmosphere of the Earth? So that's the question. There, for example, if we ever get to this situation, well, number one, we do have astronauts, uh, or we did have astronauts, and number two. Uh, they've gone to the moon. And number three, eventually, it may be possible they'll go to planets, Mars, or whatever it is. So, so there's a very, very interesting halachic shayla. Are they even obligated to keep mitzvahs? 
when they're not in that type of atmosphere. And of course, then you'll have a problem if they do keep Shabbos. How do you define Shabbos? Shabbos on Mars do, do any aliyah, might, might be a year, you know, in terms of the, uh, right. the length of a day, the length of a night. Do any earlier people discuss it? Or, um, like, do they discuss it very theoretically or not at all? I don't think they, they, the earlier authorities don't discuss it. It's discussed in you know, modern, modern right, times. Right. Modern times I'm just curious if they, like, yeah. theoretically talked about it. That they have not. That they have not. Uh, they, they, they didn't even imagine uh, being on other right. planets. So if any of you are planning on, on being an astronaut, uh, beware, you're going to have to ask a whole bunch of, of Shilas uh, regarding how you keep mitzvahs. And some people say there's another principle here that if you're not chayav in mitzvos, a Jew is not allowed to put themselves in an environment where the Torah no longer applies to them. So it would actually be a sin to put yourself out of the reach of Hashem's Torah. Israel did. Israel did. Uh, but he wasn't. He wasn't religious, so he didn't necessarily have. Uh, yeah, but have also, there's for sure. There's for sure. Um, People who do like like rabbis who do think it's necessary. Oh yeah, some some so some. Why rabbi- wouldn't you just send non-Jews? Well, that would be better to do. Actually, it would be better, but but not not all Jews are keeping the Torah, so they they have no problem. So as I always say, it's a machlokas. There are different there are different opinions about it, um, and because of this, the bottom line is they do it. Which rabbis have opinions? So uh, there was Rav Nachman Kasher. Rav Nachman Kasher was a great post. A bunch of people didn't write about this. No, no. So we don't really have, we don't have chuvot from the greatest leaders. We have from these other eminent rabbis who, who thought about it, wrote about it. Uh, yeah. Okay. So all right. Okay. So now uh, to remind you of what we talked about last week, and this is actually very practical. We talked about last week the prenuptial agreements that uh, chassans and kalas are sometimes signed. It's called a prenup, and uh, usually, if anyone insists on it, it usually comes from the kala's side, and not so much the kala, but the kala's parents often say, "I want a prenup agreement because I don't want my daughter to be an aguna," and and the like. And there are different prenups out there, but the most common prenup, at least in the United States is called the RCA prenup, Rabbinical Council of America prenup. You can get it online. And you will recall, just a quick review, uh, there are three parts to it, part A, part B, part C. Part A is non-controversial. That simply says, we agree in the event of any dispute about our marriage to go to a basin and obey the basin. And they pick the basin in the agreement itself, whether it's the basin of America, which is the RCA's own basin, whether it's the basin of Crown Heights, if you're both Chabad, you, you may want to do that. Whether it's the basin of Williamsburg, you can pick any basin you want. You can pick any country you want. If you like the basin of Rome, for some crazy reason, even though you don't live in Italy, you can say the basin of Rome. So that's non-controversial. That's a Dover Pashat, because halakhically, if we have disagreements, we're supposed to go to a basin. So this just makes it an agreement uh, and that's part A. So that's not that's not going to be the controversy that we're going to get into. Yeah. If they move, like, so let's say they get married in Crown Heights, and they say they're going to go to the Crown Heights Basin, and then when they are getting divorced, they're living in Milan in Italy. Yeah. Do they have any sort of legal obligation to go to the Crown Heights Basin? So, so here you have to remember one fundamental idea. If two people sign a contract and they both want to change it, there's no problem. 
So if they both want to go to the basin in Milan, they can do that. But, but, if let's say the, the Kala is very happy with the basin of Crown Heights, even though they live in Italy, she can say, a deal is a deal, you've got to go. So there's never a problem in changing an agreement by mutual consent, but if only one person wants to change it, the other party can say, sorry, this was the deal. Okay, so that's part A, not a problem. Part B is the real one that's, that's controversial, and that is, part B says that for every day that we are separated, meaning we, husband and wife, we are not living under the same roof, I, the husband, hereby agree to give the wife an amount of money, and you specify the money, 500 a day, 200 a day. Also vice versa. Yeah, yeah, but, but uh, Mizonos, in other words, for her food, rent, utilities, clothing, until I give her a get, meaning to say, when I give her a get, that terminates my payments, but I agree to pay her X amount of dollars every, for every day I don't give a get, and that is terminated only by my either giving her a get or by my depositing a get in basin. That's why she can't, she can't keep the bill running by, uh, not, not, by not accepting the get, because as soon as he deposits the get in basin, his obligation is finished. So this creates what is called an indirect incentive to give a get, because for every day that he doesn't give a get after she demands it, after she demands it, he's going to have to pay her a certain amount of money. And by making it a contract, it is not only a halachic obligation, but it becomes an obligation that she can go to court for. Okay, this is part uh, B of the agreement. Part C of the agreement, again, I know I'm reviewing, is not about get at all. It simply says, we agree to give all other controversies about our marriage, such as child support, visitation, to the Bastin's jurisdiction. And then you have to check a box. Do you want the Bastin to decide al halacha, Or do you want them to decide property division based on the secular law? This is a very interesting concept. You can request, in monetary matters, not in religious matters, you can request that the Bastin decide based on secular law. That's a strange idea. You would expect... Well, if, we, if, if the decision is going to be made on secular law, we ought to go to a secular court. But the halacha says you're not allowed to go to secular courts. You have to go to Jewish courts. But you can still request that the Jewish court decide based on secular law. That's permitted. But you can't go to a secular court. So husband and wife would have to decide if they, if they sign this third agreement, part C, they would have to decide, do they want the basin to decide based on halacha or decide based on secular? Now let me give you two examples where halacha and secular are very different. For example, let's take child custody. Child custody. Generally speaking, a secular court gives most of the time, most of the time in divorce cases, there is what is called joint custody, most of the time, meaning to say, part of the time the kids are with one parent, yeah, I'll get the time, part of the time the kids go to another parent, right, they split it, basically, most of the time. Uh, and that also means that major decisions have to be made with both parents agreeing. 
like what school the kid goes to, and then there'll be some provision. If they're in a deadlock, uh, they'll designate some third person, a mediator, to be a tiebreaker, and the like. Joint custody is messy. Now, let's imagine that uh, one of the uh, parents has decided to become a Christian, right? Or a Jew for Jesus, or totally not religious. Now, I can tell you for sure that if that case came in front of a Bayston, the Bayston would not give joint custody to a parent who is practicing Christianity. The Bayston would give total custody to the religious parent, and maybe they would allow the other parent to have what's called supervised visitation, meaning they could see the child, but there would have to be supervision. A secular court doesn't care. The secular court doesn't care. If one parent is Jewish and one parent is practicing Christianity, that makes no difference. So they would give joint custody. So there are going to be cases where a Bayston would, would decide custody different than would a secular court. Now, I gave you, an, I gave you uh, an obvious example. But there might be other examples. If the Bayston, for example, is a Hasidic Bayston, and mom has a smartphone, even though she's a totally religious woman, that may be enough in a strict Hasidish Bayston to say mom doesn't get any, any custody. Even though a more modern Orthodox Bayston would say that's fine. In other words, what I'm saying is that these are important issues because uh, it depends on which Bayston you choose and it also depends if it's going to be secular or, or, or not. Yeah? So, but if in the matter of like a religious court, yeah. Are they taking an account of like the child? Like secular courts tend to give joint custody because if you have a daughter and say the mother's not necessarily the best parent, they're gonna still have the mother be part of the child's life because it's a girl and it's more likely to benefit the child. But if they're religious, it would still benefit for the. No, no. So, 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 so let let me let me let me uh, qualify my statement a little bit. In other words, a religious court also understands that a child should have a good relationship with both parents. I'm not suggesting that religious courts are bedafka. No, I understand that, but, but it's a question of the, the, greater, the, the lesser of two evils, meaning to say, yes, supervised visitation means that the child's connection, and by the way, it doesn't have to be to the mother or to the father, whichever. Uh, yes, supervised visitation means the connection is not going to be so great, but on the other hand, if a better connection means that the child will be indoctrinated into Christianity, you've got to make a decision. In other words, you're, you are losing something good by not giving joint custody, but you're preventing something worse. You see what I'm saying? So well, from a secular like a perspective... Phone, that would be... No, no you're, you're, I, I, I agree with you. I, if, I, if I would be on a base, I would never make such a decision in a million years. So but I'm just... Te- yeah, no, 100%, 100% correct. All I'm telling you is that some basins take the smartphone thing so obsessively seriously and again, I don't, I don't agree with them, that a mother might find herself... I, say, I shouldn't say mother, because this is not a sexist thing. I mean, the father, father or the mother would find themselves at a big, big disadvantage. And then my second question would be, like, it, if they're doing it through a Bayston, then when they do get, like, a legal divorce through, like, secular world, do they just go in as a mediation and just say, these are the terms you've agreed to? Okay, so this is how it's going to work. The way it's going to work is um, they go to a Bayston, the Bayston gives a decision, and assuming the parties can live with it, which is not always the case, they then present it to the court as an agreement, which the court then certifies, and it becomes part of the legal divorce. 
Now, what often happens is, if someone is not happy with the decision, they will refuse to sign off on it, and they will demand that the secular court make the decision. And at that, no, 100%, they're going against halacha. But that's a legal document. Oh, 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 okay, okay, okay. If, if, so if they sign your prenup, then they're well, okay. Okay, so let, let, let me go, let me go back a little bit on something. Uh, the prenup gave the base them the authority to decide all these things, and that's a legal document. That's true, but you have to understand that certain things, even a legal document, doesn't stop a secular court from adjudicating. The legal document will be final on property. So if, for example, the based and divided property and you don't like the way they divided it, a court's going to say, sorry, you signed a prenup that the basin has the authority, you're stuck. That's true. So on property, the prenup will make the decision of the based and final. That's 100% true. And the other party cannot do anything about it. But, but, this is very important, when it comes to matters pertaining to children, whether it is custody visitation or child support, even a prenup cannot stop a secular court from re-examining what is in the best interest of the children. Which means to say, even if I signed a prenup that all child custody should be decided by a basin, if I don't like that, I can go to secular court. Now, now, let me emphasize, it is absolutely against halacha for me to do that. I'm committing a sin. I am not allowed halachically to challenge the based in decision. But legally, I can do it. You, you understand the difference here? Legally, I can get away with it, even though halachically I'm committing an aveira. Does everyone understand the difference here? The difference in property and the ch- child custody. So if someone's not religious, okay, so so if, I, if a person, the basin, then they'll just they'll, they'll, they'll go to secular court. Now the only thing is on the property, however, that is a final decision when when there's a prenup. Yeah. Does it work the same in like secular court if the child's a certain age that they can pick which parent they go to? Does it work the same in a basin? Uh, no, not automatically, but 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 a basin will pay attention, meaning meaning. The basement will want to know what the children want, but it's not a, an automatic... In fact, secular court is usually not an automatic thing either. But, I mean, once they hit, like, 15, 16, they kind of... Yeah, yeah, I understand. Uh, well, listen, uh, a basement, I, I would say, pays attention to it. It wouldn't be an automatic uh, so an automatic. So once they hit 15, 16, then, like, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, the five-year-old, you know, a five-year-old kid cannot, uh, cannot really make... Cannot really make a decision. If I will, we'll go with uh, whoever makes the better pizza or whatever. Whatever it is, you know, doesn't. Uh, uh, yeah. Um, how is the basin allowed to rule according to secular law? Okay, so the reason the basin can rule, this is very interesting, is because secular law has a concept called binding arbitration. Binding arbitration simply means in any uh, situation, commercial, labor, divorce we can agree that instead of going to court, we will go to an arbitrator, and the arbitrator's decision then becomes legally binding. So based on the concept, the secular concept called arbitration, it is possible the prenup is essentially making a based in the arbitrators. And therefore, technically, what you're presenting to the court is not a psak based in, that's not what you're going to call it, you're going to call it uh, an arbitration decision. And that is the legal 
hook. The only thing is, as I say, arbitration decisions are not binding on child welfare because the state has this thing, what is it called, parens, the Latin phrase, parens patriae, which is just a Latin phrase that means the state is the parent of all children and therefore they will not allow uh, prenup agreements to affect the welfare of of children. Okay, so the reason why there's there, well, that's a good. That is a very good question. In other words, if you're not allowed to go to secular court, why would a base be allowed to use secular? Now, I don't mean. Okay, so first, let me let me be clear. I don't mean you can ask him to do secular law for everything. I mean, on child custody, they will vadi do halacha. I mean, on property division, they can do secular law. The concept is that Hashem wants uh, Jewish people to go to religious courts for adjudication. But when it comes to how you divide money, they don't, the Torah itself says whatever the parties want to divide, they can divide it that way. Uh, on custody, you cannot debate, you cannot ask a basin to decide custody so on secular. Like that's right. Decide. Yeah, yeah, you cannot do that. You cannot do that. But on money, you can always divide money any way you want. Okay. Alrighty. So here's the thing. Now again, you, you know, you'll. Uh, I assume that as uh, Hasidish women, you're not going to ask for prenuptial agreements or whatever it is. But in case, and usually the groom is certainly not going to ask for a prenup. The prenup always comes, almost always comes from the women's side. So but but here's the question. The question is, uh, let's say you want an RCA prenup, or your parents want an RCA prenup because they heard about it and the like. Is there any halachic problem with the RCA prenup that you shouldn't sign it or your chassan shouldn't sign it? Or whatever it is. So, as, as is always my answer, machlokas. But let me say the following. Part A and Part C, no problem at all. Part A and Part C can certainly be signed. There is no issue. Part A is simply agreeing to go to a basin, which religiously you have to do anyway. And Part C is giving the basin authority to decide uh, monetary and custodial matters, which you have a chiv, an obligation to do that anyway, to go to a base. The big problem is part B, because here's the issue. If you remember, uh, we've gone over this a lot in a lot of detail, and uh, you know, if it's confusing, I, I, I understand and I apologize. But if you remember, uh, we have a basic principle that any get that is given under coercion is an invalid get unless the coercion is after the base then ruled that a man must give a get. So here's the problem. If you have an agreement that tells the husband, for every day you don't give a get, you're going to have to pay $500. And he gives a get in order to get out of the $500 payment. And it doesn't say a basin ordered him to give a get. This is a mechanism even without a basin. So the question is, is he being coerced into giving a get because if he doesn't give a get, the bill keeps on getting higher and higher and higher and higher. Now, you might say, well, how is that coercion? The reason he's paying is because he agreed to it. Coercion is when you do something to a person that they didn't agree, right? So one might say, yeah, there is a coercion on him, but the coercion comes because he agreed. Okay, very good. There's a whole category here. This is called 
um, coercion that resulted from a prior agreement. And, and indeed, we paskin that even that is considered to be coercive. So there are opinions that say that this is a prenuptial agreement that creates a coerced get. And therefore, any get under this prenup would be an invalid get, and therefore you're not allowed to sign Part B, because that creates this pressure. Other opinions say this is not coercive, because it's simply quantifying. Every husband under the ketubah is obligated to give support to his wife until he gives her a get. This is just quantifying support, and therefore it's not considered coercive. So most of the more modern Orthodox rabbis in the United States consider this agreement to be fine. But there was a psak from some gedolim in Israel that they considered the RCA agreement to be to be no good. Uh, my own opinion, if it counts for anything, and not that it should, uh, is that I, I believe that it's fine. I, I think it's a valid prenuptial agreement halachically. But there are those poskim who feel that uh, there is a problem uh, with it. Yeah. Okay, those poskim yeah. who are saying that in this case of a prenup, that get cannot be valid. That's correct. That's correct. They are also saying that any woman who ever left a first marriage where she had a prenup and got a get and then went on to a second marriage, those children are mamzerim. That's correct. That, that is what they are saying. <laughs> that is what they are saying, which is a very, very drastic consequence. But that's potentially creating a major issue because if you're halakhically yep. observant, modern yep. Orthodox parents yep. like, got a pre- signed a prenup, then you are not... Well, you're fine, but like if your mother previously... Yes, yes, you're 100%, you're, you are 100% correct. You're trying to become chassidish and be told that you're a mom there. Uh, yes, you've identified a, a potential problem. This is a serious issue, which means, which actually means it's better to err on the side of caution, meaning even if your rabbi, and let's say I feel that this prenup is 100% fine, it's not a halachic problem, if there are other rabbis that say that the resulting get is invalid, it may be a good idea not to have the prenup because of what somebody else may say, you know, 30 years from now when you have children from a second marriage, hopefully it won't be a second marriage, but from a second marriage, which might be a mom's right. So this is kind of an idea in which you almost have to operate within the highest halachic denominator in order to maximize the valid status of your children. In a way, it's kind of almost like a chumrah blackmail, meaning to say that the the strictest view kind of holds me hostage uh, because of what they might do to my children or my grandchildren in the future. So that's, that's a very, very excellent, excellent point. Let me just mention another little side point. Even if you uh, do say the prenup is fine, when should it be signed? And this is an interesting little issue. The RCA actually wants, wants it to be signed at the Kabbalah's Panim at the same time as the Ksuba. Are you familiar with Jewish wedding protocol? Uh, that uh, before the Chuppah, there's a Tish, you know, there's a Chassan's area, Kala's area, and then at some point uh, at the Tish, they sign the uh, witnesses, sign the, they read a Tanoim, which is the engagement contract, and they break a plate, the mothers break a plate, and then the ketubah is signed, and then you have the then you have the badekin, then you have the, the veiling of the bride, and then you have the chuppah, right, and the shevet brachas, and the like. So the RCA would actually wants the prenup to be signed in a very public way, 
along with the ksuva. In other words, it should be done publicly in the open. Everybody should see it. And it should even be explained because they want people to understand that this is an important thing. Now, there are some people that say, even if you have a prenup, don't do it at the wedding. Well, it, it kind of takes away from the spirit of the wedding that you're talking about getting married, and they say, oh, if you refuse to give me a get, you're going to have to pay me, you know. You know. So some say, do it privately, don't do it uh, at the wedding itself. That's a, a secondary question, but that's also an issue to, to keep in mind. Yeah. Um, one minute. Yeah. Um, like, we said that coercion isn't technically... Like, forcing someone to give a get isn't technically forcing them, because in the end it's from that they want you to do it, No, right? but, yeah, but that's, o- that's only when a based-in said. Yeah, that, that's the point. So if, if the, the base, prenup yeah. said... Yeah. If the base yes, says, yes, yes, and then yes. you have to get... Yes, 100% correct. That's perfectly fine. So that, why that, don't people do that kind of thing? Oh, no, the re- because the reason is this. You could do that. Okay, that's but, great. But, that's and that's great. great, and that works <laughs> fine. But the problem is, here's the problem with the RCA was working with. It was hard for women to get a psak of a based in. It was? Yes, because sometimes the based in... No, because the woman alleges abuse and the husband says no and it's a he said, she said. So sometimes the based ins were not deciding. So the RCA wanted to create a mechanism where even Uh without a based in, she could get... So the point isn't for to stop a gunas. The point is to stop, is to help women get it. That's exactly right. Okay, uh, but if, if it would no, say the, that the... No, 100%, that's 100% valid. In other words, is there prenups that exist like that? Uh, you, could, you could, again, you could tailor make a prenup. You could write your own. Right. Uh, and that was, that's perfectly fine. Again, okay. you're, you've identified a perfectly legitimate prenup because the problem with B is B is putting pressure on a man without a base and directing him to give a get. And that's Isn't where you got a problem. a problem that women are having a hard time getting that base then? Getting what? A sack based in for a get. Well, as I as I said, th- there are reasons why it's a little hard because, uh, as I say, according to the Rambam, if a woman just says I don't like the guy, that's enough. Right. According to the Rambam, it's very very easy, but according to other opinions, and we pass like these other opinions, she has to show abuse and she has to show a real bad situation, yeah. and a lot of divorces are just because what's called irreconcilable but differences. But abuse is very subjective. It is very subjective, and that's where it may differ. For example, if he hits her with a lead pipe, so that's pretty easy for her to get a psak based yeah. But if he yells a lot, you know, the basin might say, mm, yelling, and everybody yells, you know. <laughs> that, that's going to be the issue. Okay, but that's an excellent, that's a very excellent point. Okay, so that's kind of the RCA prenup agreement. If you want to see it in more detail, as they say, just Google RCA prenup, and you, will, you can get an actual copy of it, yeah. Have you ever seen cases where the fact that it would cause a child to be moms or that that actually helps in persuading a man to give a gift? I have not seen a case like that and I I can imagine it could work in some cases but in a lot of cases not because the husband's uh, words would simply be well tell her not to fool around with another man, that's all. That's not my responsibility. Meaning the husband is basically saying she's not allowed to marry another person and if she does, that's her problem, it's not my problem. I mean, that's the mentality of... Then it's uh, on of him. That. Huh? Then it does, it's so, the sin is kind of on him. Well, he says, I didn't tell her to sin. I, I, <laughs> now, of course, he's holding her hostage and, and, and the like, yeah. 
I don't know if this, if you still have a lot more you want to say on this or if I can ask about a related topic. Yeah. Um, I was at a really interesting wedding um, that the bride and groom were and are both Chabad. Yeah. He converted um, and his mother, who loves him very much, uh, is not Jewish at all. Yeah. Um, and so uh, it was very interesting to me and I wasn't like privy to all the details, but like how they included her in yeah. the wedding. Because like, for instance, when they broke the dish, I don't remember, but I think that the one girl's Chabad Rebbitzin mother and then this non-Jewish lady broke a plate. Oh, really? Mother. The non-Jewish lady broke the plate to the mother? I think they, okay. but I don't remember. I'm curious just what your, what your like... Yeah, th- th- this is a very delicate issue. So first of all, I guess, first of all, the, the most important thing, uh, on one hand, the minhagim of weddings are very, very important, very significant. It's a tremendous um, day of holiness. And every little minhag, even customs, are so significant and you want to do it right. And uh, that's why uh, a non-Jew should not walk uh, even a child down to the chuppah. And that's why even a divorced, divorced parents, you know, shouldn't, shouldn't do it. On the other hand, well, that means if, if for example, the, uh, the, the, the father and mother of the bride or the groom are, uh, are divorced. Mm-hmm. And let's say the minhag is father-mother walk down. That's also... So a father and mother who are who are now divorced should not be the ones who. But they're who, still the father and the mother. They they are they are but under the chuppah itself they they walk halfway, they do walk but they don't go under the chuppah itself under the chuppah itself. He walks the rest of the way, just the kid himself. Either either the kid himself or a rebbe and a rebbetzin, you know, some you know wow. someone, yeah. So the, these are things. So so on one hand, you know, we don't want uh, anything to interrupt. But, but there's another idea here, which will also qualify what I said, and that is, it's extremely important not to cause pain or humiliation to somebody. This is very, very important. And if, cause, if, 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 if following these minhagim are going to cause pain and humiliation, then you don't follow them. Meaning if uh, father and mother would be tremendously hurt if they didn't go all the way down, you let them go down. And you have to believe that in the merit of, of seeking peace and, 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 and sparing people's feelings, you gave up on some minhagim, Hashem is going to make things good. So that's kind of the approach to the non-Jew. Now, the, the merit of the non-Jewish person is they may be so clueless and ignorant about what goes on in a wedding that you don't, you don't have to give them anything to do because they're not going to know that there was something right, they were they supposed to do. But once they realize this is what parents do, then you kind of get them involved. Uh, breaking a plate is okay. Uh, Okay. Um, that, 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 well, 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 typically the, the mothers on both sides break break the plate. Right. So, yeah. So, so you can allow the non-Jewish participation uh, to the degree necessary to spare uh, feelings and and hurts. But is but. There anything that definitely like in that case where the mom is not Jewish, is there anything definitely like could she be under? I don't think she was, but could she be under the chuppah? Is there anything that she 100% is not allowed to be there? There's nothing that she's not allowed to be there, but, but, but being under the chuppah is like the worst thing. I mean, I mean, you try, that, that's the one. If you're going to avoid something, that's the one to, to avoid. But, but even that, if it's something that would hurt her tremendously, we're lenient, you know, would because... Would it be appropriate yeah. to, like, also send the bride's parents not have either set of parents under the that, That's a, That is a very good idea, but, of course, the problem is <laughs> the other side may not agree to it. But you're 100% correct. Ideally, if you exclude everybody, 
then you're not hurting, uh, you're not singling somebody out. That, that's a very good solution, but as they say, it's not always going to work because they're going to, uh, the other side is not going to agree to it. Yeah. Generally, in halacha, do we value, um, um, do we value um, trying not to cause someone embarrassment or public shaming? More important than following the... Well, well, I'm not going to say it applies in every case. I mean, for example, uh, if somebody serves me tray food and if I don't eat it, they're going to be embarrassed. Right. I don't say to spare embarrassment, I'll eat but tray food. Like minhagim, but for minhagim, for sure. For minhagim, for sure. I mean, most of these things are minhagim. It's they're a biblical not, commandment not to publicly Absolutely, not, not to publicly embarrass anybody. Do you remember the Gemara, the story? We, we, we're going to read it the next week in the Torah. Uh, it is better to throw yourself in a fiery furnace, to kill yourself in fire rather than embarrass somebody publicly. Do you remember what that's learned out of? Remember Yehuda had relations with his daughter-in-law, not knowing she was his daughter-in-law. And she got pregnant, and she was going to be burnt at the stake for committing uh, adultery because she was pledged to one of his sons. And she refused to reveal. He had given her a deposit. He had given her his money belt as a deposit. And she said, the man that gave me this was the man from whom I, I conceived. And Yehuda said, it is me. And uh, if he would not have confessed, she would have died. And the Gemara says, it is better to go to your death in a fiery furnace before you embarrass somebody publicly. And let me remind you that from that relationship came David HaMelech. I mean, David is descended. It's from Peretz and Peretz, you know, Boaz, etc. So the whole yichus of David and Mashiach comes from the heroism of a woman who did not want to shame someone even though she would die. So this is very important and it's, 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 it's worthwhile to mention because sometimes as people get more religious, more devout, more strict, they become a little less sensitive to the feelings of non-religious members of the family or non-Jews in the family. And you have to know that part of being religious is being very, very sensitive to not embarrassing people. That's part of the Torah. It's a very important part of the Torah. So if you're a religious person, you have to factor that into your thinking. You can't just be strict and say, no, 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 you can't, you know, you can't do this, you can't do this, and the like. But as they say, I don't mean to suggest, God forbid, that there's indefinite compromises. I mean, you can't violate Shabbos, you can't violate kosher, I mean, you can't, you know, even if it embarrasses somebody, there are things you can't do. But for minhagim and the like, you know, you, you give up a little bit on, on some of them for that particular, for, for that particular reason. Um, okay, I mean, okay. Um, all right, so that, that was that issue. Okay, so now there's one more issue I'm going to talk about, and this, Mitch Hashem, is indeed our final issue about uh, this very fascinating topic. I hope it's uh, interesting. And that is two secular laws in the state of New York. They are called the New York Get Laws. Uh, that's not in the statute books itself, but they're colloquially called New York Get Laws. New York is the only state in the United States that has these laws, and obviously it's because of the so many religious Jews in New York. Uh, but you're going to see that the New York Get Law was followed, was a model for South Africa, for Ontario province in Canada, that's where Toronto, Toronto is, and for England. So the New York Get Law has had an influence on some other countries, but it has not yet had an influence in any other state in the United States. I'm sorry, someone had a hand up? Uh, okay. 
Okay, good. All righty. So there are two New York Get Laws. There's New York Get Law number one, which dates from 1983, and there's New York Get Law number two, that dates from 1992, nine years later. Something very important happened between 1983 and 1992, and that was the death of Rev. Moshe Feinstein in, I think, 1987. Uh, the reason why this is very important, you'll see, that Rav Moshe Feinstein issued a ruling regarding the halachic acceptability of the first get law, 1987, but he did not issue a halachic ruling regarding the second get law. And you're going to see that the second get law has some halachic problems that the first get law does not, does not have. Uh, the author of the first get law, the one who wrote the law that was passed by New York, is somebody that if you follow Chabad legal history, and Chabad is unfortunately uh, very involved in lawsuits all the time about different things, uh, you may have heard of uh, Nathan Lewin. You ever heard of Nathan Lewin? Nathan Lewin is, uh, he himself is not a Chabad person, but he's, uh, uh, you know, he, went to, he has smicha, he's a, he's a uh, you know, he has, he's a non-practicing rabbi, a brilliant, brilliant attorney, and uh, he is kind of Chabad's main lawyer when they talk about menorahs in public places. And they, was he involved in, in like, the library? He was involved in the library case. That's right. That's correct. Yes, uh, yeah, he was. He was. This is Nathan Lewin. Uh, he lives in my old, uh, you know, I'm from Maryland. He uh, lives in Maryland. He's part of the year. He's here already. And Nathan Lewin was the drafter of the first New York Get Law. I don't know who wrote the second one. Okay, so what does the first New York Get Law say? It says the following. Uh, this is a law in New York only. No person can file for a civil divorce. So it doesn't say man only. No person can file for a civil divorce in the state of New York unless their filing is accompanied by a statement under oath that they have removed any barrier to the remarriage of the other party. Very new. Okay? Let me, huh? Yes, that's exactly right. And that's based on the New York Get Law. Let, let, let me state it again, because this is legalese a little bit, and uh, if you're not uh, law students, uh, it may be uh, a little hard to follow. No person may file for a civil divorce in the state of New York unless they file with their application a statement under oath or affirmation that they have removed any barrier to the remarriage of the other party that prevents the other party from remarrying. So let's translate that into simple English. If I am a man who wants to get a divorce in the state of New York, and I file for a divorce, I have to make a sworn statement that I've given my wife a get. Because if I haven't given my wife a get, I am maintaining a barrier to her remarriage. So I can't get a civil divorce until I file that statement. Now, now, you may ask a question, okay, 
What if I didn't give again? I'll just file the statement. <laughs> I'll lie. In other words, it, see, it doesn't say, the statute is very strange. The statute doesn't say no, man, no person can get a civil divorce until he removes the barrier. That's not what it says. It says no person can get a civil divorce until he, they file a statement that they remove the barrier. Well, <laughs> what if they file the statement and they didn't remove the barrier? So there's a few things. Number one, when you file a statement with a court under oath, if the statement turns out not to be true, you can go to jail for what's committing perjury. Perjury, right? So Vederech Klau, if he has to file that statement, it probably happens. But there's another thing in the statute. If he files a statement, it can be vetoed by the clergyman who married them. Meaning, okay, so let's, let, let's translate this into English. Let's say man wants a divorce. Uh, man files the statement that says, I have removed every barrier to my wife's remarriage. But really he hasn't. He became reform and he simply says, well, the reform movement says you don't need a get, so there's no barrier. So what happens in that case is if the rabbi who married them was orthodox, he files a counterstatement that says no get was given that is halachically valid. Once he files the counterstatement, the husband cannot get a divorce until the same rabbi files a next new statement that the barrier was removed. That's called the clergyman veto. The clergyman veto. Now, this statute is a little convoluted because what happens if the rabbi dies? I mean, I mean there, there, there are some questions here that are not, okay. not fully answered, but, but nevertheless... Can like the wife's yeah. rabbi? Huh? Can the wife's rabbi this, it, No, no, that, that's the interesting thing because the only rabbi that's given the authority here is the, one who is the rabbi who married them. She can't go to some other rabbi, she can't go to the rebbe, she can't go to anybody. Uh, it has to be the rabbi who married them. And the reason is because that was the one rabbi that both parties chose to be their authority, at least for the marriage. So it's a little convoluted, but basically what it tells the husband fundamentally is if you want a secular divorce under the laws of New York State, you better give your wife a get because if you don't give your wife a get and we find out about it, you will not get a civil divorce in the state of New York. That's essentially what the law says. Now, as uh, you said and I said, that uh, became a similar law was passed in England uh, and a similar law is passed in South Africa and there's a similar law not for all of Canada but for Ontario province which is where Toronto is, is located. So, uh, in the rest of the United States, this law did not uh, pass anywhere else. I remember there was an attempt to get it passed in Maryland, but the Attorney General of Maryland said, who is Jewish, by the way, said this was unconstitutional because it violates the separation of church and state because you're telling the state of New York, we will not give you a civil divorce until you comply with a religious law. Can't do that. Separation of church and state. Well, what's the counter-argument? What's the defense of the New York law constitutionally? Again, we don't have to go into 
the it's detail. Not, it's not only limited to religion. Right. Number one, it's not limited to religion. It applies to any. Of course, the problem is there's like no other case. But but uh, <laughs> it's it's written very neutrally. It's not written. It doesn't talk about get. Right. It doesn't talk about any of those things. It's barrier to remarriage. And the concept is that uh, a woman without a get is a victimized woman, and the state's interest here is protecting victimized people. It is not promoting religion. It's not like, you know, if the law would say, you can't get a civil divorce unless you learn dafyomi every day, or chitas, <laughs> that would be an unconstitutional law. Right? It's none of the business of the state to say you've got to learn the parak of Tanya every day. But the state does have a secular interest that women should not be victimized, and therefore the argument that New York has made is, this is a secular law. It is not a religious law, and it helps women get a get. Uh, now, this law has been on the books since 1983, a long time already, and I am told that uh, there are actually several hundreds, like 500 women, over that long time, that have gotten gets uh, because of the husband's uh, obligation to file this affidavit, this statement, that he has removed the barrier to the remarriage of his wife. And as I say, on this particular uh, law, Rev. Moshe Feinstein said it is good. Now, now, let me explain the problem here. The problem always is, aren't you coercing, we're back to our old, our old friend here, aren't you coercing the husband to give a get by telling him you're not getting a divorce? So here is Rav Moshe's chiddush, Rav Moshe's insight. It's a bit of a subtle insight. In order to be coercion, you have to take away something the person already has. You threaten to break his arm. You threaten to take his house. You threaten to make him pay money. That's coercion. Here, you're not taking something away. You're simply not giving him something new. He's already married. His status quo is he's married. He wants something new. He wants something extra. He wants a divorce. So what you're doing under the New York Law number one is you're not taking something from him. You're simply not giving something new. And Rav Moshe Feinstein ruled that that is not called coercion. That is legitimate pressure because it is a, it's, it's a denial of a carrot rather than uh, hitting him with a stick. Because what you're telling him is, you are already married, we will not allow you to change your condition. And Rav Moshe's chiddush was that this was not coercive. And because this was not coercive, it is a legitimate pressure, so to speak, to make a husband do it. Yeah? If a man filed his secular divorce and said that he gave a get, but he didn't, so yeah. that came forward and said that, would he immediately be charged with perjury? Or would he have like time to go and give the get before any sort of Well, that's an interesting question. Theoretically, even if he gave a get the next day, he could be charged with perjury because he made a false statement when he made it. My guess is, I don't have the statistics, most of the time, though, the state will, will forgive. I mean, I'll give, you a, 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 I'll give you a common example. If I robbed, right, if I robbed you, uh, and I'm, I'm, you know, and I'm up, you know, they want to arrest me for, for robbery, but I made full restitution right away, so it may very well be the district attorney might decide to drop charges. So that's what would happen here, probably, 
Uh, in fact, even more so because it's a non-violent, it's not a, not a violent crime. In a violent crime, it's not so clear that would happen. Uh, but theoretically, he could be prosecuted because uh, he made a false statement under oath at the time. Yeah. If the Basin had issued a claim for a gap, then there would be no issue with... That's correct, 100%, 100%. That's always going to be the case. But Rav Moshe's chiddish was that even, even if, if there's they... no Psak Basin, the New York Etla number one is perfectly fine, and that's why uh, it was followed in uh, England and in Canada and in South Africa, because halachically, the great Posek Rav Moshe Feinstein said that he thought it was okay. Now, New York Etla number one has been very, very helpful. It's interesting that although from a constitutional law standpoint, I don't know if any of you ever took courses in constitutional, American constitutional law, there is indeed a problem of separation of church and state, theoretically. But it's interesting, the US Supreme Court has never, it's interesting, you know, they, could have, they could have decided this over so many years, but they've never taken uh, the case New York, uh, New York get law number one. So it's been working. It keeps on going, and uh, nobody's ever taken the case to the Supreme Courts. I don't know why. It seems like it's a, it's a very interesting constitutional law case. But as I say, the defense of it is that the state is not trying to motivate people to be religious, like putting on tefillin or chitas or whatever it is. The state is trying to protect women from victimization, and that is what is called a secular goal, not a religious goal, even though it requires fulfilling a religious law, and therefore that would not run afoul. I'll give you a parallel example to this for those who like constitutional law. Uh, New York and many of some other states as well have a kosher division. Do you know that? That um, uh, the state of New York has inspectors on the state payroll who check out kosher restaurants to be sure that they're kosher by some standard. Again, it's not Mahadran standard, by some standard. Now you might say, that's crazy. How, 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 can, how can you have a secular state government uh, fine a restaurant? They'll fine a restaurant. Punish a restaurant because it's not kosher. That's like saying, you know, punish you if you didn't dive in today. But the defense is, no, no, New York doesn't care if you're kosher or treif. New York cares about people not being defrauded. Now, if I say the restaurant is kosher and you eat in my restaurant and my restaurant is treif, it's not that New York cares that it's treif. If I said it would be treif, that's fine. But New York has what is called a secular goal that people shouldn't be deceived. I and mean, we have laws about fraud, about selling cars and selling houses. So selling food can be the same thing. Right? So this is an example of an interesting area where sometimes the state government can enforce a religious requirement not because they're interested in religion, but because they have a secular purpose which overlaps with religion. So the same philosophy that allows kosher supervision, New York, New Jersey, some other states, will allow the New York get law because the state doesn't care if you're from or not from, but the state doesn't want you to have a stranglehold over your wife, yeah. You're saying there are mashkifim on the... There are, you, guys with beards, that's right, some Chabad people on, uh, guys with beards, they look like regular, uh, you know, rabbis. And they work, they work for the state of New York, they don't work for the OU or anything, they work for the state of New York and they are contract inspectors. Now, the way it works is, 
it's a very minimal level, meaning New York is not going to get into Mahadrin, Yosha, and Chal of Yisrael. Uh, that they, they don't care, but there's like a basic minimum standard of kashras, and if the restaurant says it's kosher, if you say kosher style, you can do what you want. In other words, you can say kosher style, right? Yeah, that, that's fine, even if it's strafe. But if you say kosher, you got to have certain standards. If not, you can be fined and you can be closed up. And that is the state government does that. Yeah. Just to clarify, there's never been a case taken to the Supreme Court about it, or the Supreme Court never accepted a case? As far it. as I know, I say you're a lawyer here, there's a little bit of see, the, see the difference there. No. As far as I know, no one has even taken it to the Supreme Court. And it's a bit of a mystery to me because it is. Uh, you know, a potential constitutional question, it seems to me. It's not that, I mean, you could defend it as I just defended it, yeah. but, but at least it's a debatable question. It's not like such an obvious thing that the Supreme Court wouldn't, wouldn't be interested in hearing it. Uh, it could be a very interesting discussion there. Yeah. By the way, the, if it ever got up, got to the Supreme Court, I can tell you now, uh, the Jewish people on the Supreme Court would decide against it. It's, uh, you know, the, uh, the most Jewish people on the Supreme Court are, are the Goyim more than, more than the Jews. Yeah. I'm sorry, someone had... Oh, yeah. I was just going to ask, how does this work? I just don't know about law at all. Yeah. So, uh, this law is enforced for any secular divorce, so like any secular person getting divorced has to make an oath of faith. Uh, yeah, y- yes, yes. It's not, it's not written just for Jews. But the, but the, pro- but the problem is, for most, for, for 99% of the population, it's just a piece of paper they sign. I mean, two Protestants are getting divorced. Right. There's no barrier that they're holding, so they simply sign. No barrier to remarriage. They don't even know what they're signing, meaning everybody has to sign that paper under oath, but it only creates a problem for Jews. But couldn't Jews then just make up their own, like, if they don't care about, if, like, really secular Jews don't care yes, then they could just, like, make their own document? Yes, so that's, so that's correct, that's correct. Uh, but that's where the rabbi comes in if they were married by an Orthodox rabbi. Oh, okay. Now, if they weren't married by an Orthodox rabbi, right, then like you're right. But, but of course, we, we already said that in many cases where they're not married by an Orthodox rabbi, they don't need a get because the marriage wasn't valid, right? So right. in a lot of those cases, there won't be a get problem. But also, if you lie, then you can get... Yes, yes, yes. Right. On the but other hand... But if both parties don't even care. Well, if the if the woman doesn't if the woman doesn't care, it'll never go to the attention of the judge. Meaning, meaning let's say the woman doesn't care if she has a gay. So the husband lied. How how is the how is the court even going to know? She's not even lying because the woman's not being held back from marriage. Or she's not being held back. That's another way of looking at it. Meaning, it only comes to the attention of the judge. If you know the woman said, "Hey, you know he didn't do it," you know, and then the judge, you know, will hold your perjury and everything else. So if nobody cares, nobody cares, and it never comes to the attention of the judge to begin with. Okay. Other yeah. people in New York, I'm just curious. I just don't know. Like, that they get married with the chapa, like Jewish marriage. They don't get a civil marriage. Oh, okay. That's an interesting little question. Uh, that's not our topic, but I'll address it because it's worthwhile to think about. Uh, there are people from people, sometimes very, very religious people, particularly in second marriages, that uh, they want to have a kosher marriage with witnesses, chuppah, kedushin, and they want to live as a from couple. 
but they actually do not want a civil marriage. They do not want a civil marriage. Why don't they want... Of course, they still need a get, but they don't want a civil marriage, primarily because it, it may affect... Uh, in other words, they don't want uh, their property to go to the second wife or, or vice versa. The second wife doesn't want her property to go to the husband, so they want to keep their finances separate. Uh, Sometimes it's a question of residence. Uh, like I, you know, I want to be a resident in this state, and if I'm married to you, uh, we're a resident in this other state. So, as a, I, was, I myself was, was asked, you know, I was asked to do this sometimes. So the question is, am I allowed? I say I'm a rabbi, right? Am I allowed to marry a couple to do a chuppah of a kedushin to a couple that does not get a secular marriage license? So, many would say, "Why not? Listen, you're doing the you're doing a religious ceremony. They, they don't want a, a secular marriage. So what? Uh, you're doing a religious ceremony, and enochinami. In other words, in the eyes of secular law, they're not married. They couldn't file a joint tax return. They are not married in the eyes of secular law. But so what? In the eyes of God, they're married. That's all that matters. However, in New York, in particular." It actually is against the law for a clergyman to perform a marriage ceremony if they don't have a marriage license. So the rabbi could actually could actually go to go to jail for uh, doing a marriage when there's no marriage license. So they have to wait. So wait. Yeah. The rabbi needs to. Well, so the civil, but the civil law doesn't take place under the chuppah either. No, no, no. I, I, I understand that. I, I understand that. You don't need. I don't. I don't mean you. You don't need a civil ceremony. What I mean to say is, you need a marriage license. Meaning, uh, any <laughs> any couple that's getting married in the United States has to go to the uh, to a court or whatever it is and get a marriage license. Before, but they don't need to before. Don't yeah, they do. Yes, they, they do. yes they do. Uh, now, sometimes people backdate right. it and the like. Um, and in, in the state of New York, a rabbi or a priest or anybody is not allowed to marry a couple unless the couple has a marriage license, which the rabbi then signs mm -hmm. after the chuppah. So if a rabbi were to marry, now of course he could do it under the table, I mean nobody would know some, most of the time, but if a rabbi were to marry without uh, them getting a marriage license, so your question is this, if you're asking me, is it halachically improper to do it? The answer is there's no halachic problem. What, what, what Avera am I doing if I religiously marry a couple without a marriage license? The Torah doesn't require a marriage license. But legally, the rabbi could get theoretically. Theoretically, I, I don't. I, but then it would be a halachic issue because there is a And then, and then you may get into a halachic problem of keep of obeying the law of, of the land. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Like in yeah. the like communities like Borough Park and yeah, like the very Hasidish communities, like are they? Uh, most of them get marriage licenses, but but you're correct. In Hasidic communities, they they pay they generally pay less attention to these secular laws. So you will see a higher percent. Even that, even then, most get a license, but there'll be a higher percentage that 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 do not because they say they don't uh, they don't care. Yeah. Is that law like specific to New York, or is it in mo most? Uh, no, I, I believe my understanding was in most states, uh, it's not against the law. In other words, it simply means if you don't have a marriage license, you're not married. Uh, 
So what? I'm not married secularly, I'm married religiously. That's all I care about. So in most states, there's no crime in having a religious without a secular, but the only thing is you could not claim any benefits of marriage. You couldn't file a joint return, all those different things. New York is a little unique because it actually criminalizes a, a religious ceremony which actually makes no, it makes no sense to me. It's actually incoherent. I don't know why, because let me, let, let me give you an example of how, how, how absurd it is. Adultery or premarital relations is, is permitted, meaning if, if a man is with a woman and they didn't get married at all, that's perfectly okay. So if they got married religiously without a license, that is treated as worse than living without marriage? Uh, that, that makes no sense to me. Uh, because if they could live together without being married, then let the state say, in our eyes, you're not married. At a religious ceremony, it doesn't count. It's, it's, it's a strange thing. But, but that, that seems to be the law in New York. Yeah. I just want to say that I know a couple in San Francisco that ha- was in a situation, not for any like philosophical reasons, they just didn't, they like, wanted to be married, so they had a Jewish wedding, and then, like, life happened, and they just didn't find the time to go to the city hall for, like, years afterwards. Right. They, like, had kids and whatever, and, like, at some point they went and, like, got okay. legal marriage. But they were for a long time, like, just religiously married. And they're, like, not Hasidish people at all. They just, they just didn't bother. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. I have friends here who, did, who got married religiously and didn't get married, like, with Israeli. Like, through... I mean, here. Yeah, yeah, well, you have a similar problem in Israel. It's slightly different because Israel does not have civil marriage, but Israel does require registration with the Rabbanut, which is the equivalent of a marriage license. Now, there are some maybe ultra-religious people who don't recognize the Rabbanut, so they will have religious marriages and they will not register with the Rabbanut. So that's exactly the situation. It's equivalent now, in Israel, that is also a criminal offense, actually. Now, theoretically, if the police really wanted to be mean, they could, they could uh, put the rabbi in jail uh, for, for conducting a ceremony that was not registered with the rabbinate. So uh, Israel has, has a very similar law. In fact, I know a rabbi, he's a modern rabbi, he's not even that, that he's not like ultra-religious, but he does these things as an act of civil disobedience. He wants to defy, defy the uh, Israeli law, and he actually wants to go to jail. Uh, you know, he's hoping they'll arrest him so he can make a point about uh, you know, how unfair uh, that, law, that law is. <laughs> this is the 1992 law in New York we were talking about? Yeah. No, no, no. Uh, no, I, I didn't get to that one yet. Oh. All of this was 1983. Wait, including the thing about not being allowed to get married... Religiously, but not civilly? No, no, no. That, that's nothing. That, that was that, that was a side. That's a side point. That has nothing to do. That's not the get law. That's a, that's a separate. Okay. Thing. Okay. Now we now f- uh, flash forward or fast forward to 1992, and another get law was passed. And unfortunately, this get law was passed after the uh, death of Rabbi Moshe Feinstein, so he never paskened on New York get law number two. And it was thought that New York Get Law Number One has certain weaknesses. Because New York Get Law Number One, it only says to the husband, you're not going to get a civil divorce. All right, so some husbands may say, I don't care. I don't want a civil divorce. It doesn't bother me. So New York Get Law Number Two added an extra knetch, an extra rule. And that is, New York, uh, when, when a court divides property, was it 
No, no, not Lewin did not do number two. I, I don't know who did number two, but it was passed by the same New York State uh, legislature. Um, you know, when a court divides property, what does husband get, what does wife get? So it lists like 15 things, like a whole cholent of different things that, that you look at. You look at education of husband and wife. You know, if one party wasn't so educated, you give them some more property. Job ability, number of years of marriage. How much sacrifice did you did, did wife, for example, give up her law practice so her husband go to medical school? You know, you know different things like that. Uh, so they added a fifteenth Cholens factor that says, in deciding how to divide property, the court may may consider maintenance of a barrier to remarriage. Again, I'm going to translate this in English because uh, if you're not used to legalese, uh, these things... Say it one more time. Yes. Okay. When, when determining equitable distribution of property, equitable distribution of property, the court may consider, then it says blah, 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 you know, a bunch of stuff. And the last factor that was added in 1992 is the court may consider the maintenance of a barrier to the remarriage of the other spouse. So, in normal English, this means the following. When the, when the court determines, let's say husband and wife have a house that they own together. Let's assume it's a big house, let's assume it's on Long Island, and the house is worth a million dollars. And let's even assume it's fully paid for, so the equity is a million dollars. There's no mortgage. So the court can tell the husband, if you have given your wife a get, we will divide the house 50-50. If you've not given your wife a get, I'm going to give her the whole house. In other words, when we divide the property, we will take into account Name the fact that you're maintaining a barrier to her remarriage. We will use that as a negative against you. If you give the get, we'll divide the property, let's say 50-50. The value of the property. The value of the property, yeah, yeah. I mean, usually you don't... Uh, some, there are some, actually, there are some cases where they physically <laughs> divide the house. They build a mechitza in the middle, but okay, that's, uh, that's not going to be that common. That's like Shlomo Melech. Remember the two women were arguing yeah. over the baby? He says, split the baby, right? Baby <laughs> and one woman said, sure, that's fine. So he knew that wasn't, that wasn't the, the mother. <laughs> All right. Is that logically valid? Like for Yuchlid stuff? Oh, uh, well, well it, dep- it depends. Uh, if, it depends. Uh, if, if it's a solid wall, then it's simply like uh, two uh, semi-detached houses. You know, then, then it's, okay. it's, it and becomes two houses. Yeah, if it's a real wall, but if there's just a door, if it's just another, you know, rooms, then, then it wouldn't when be. When you say mechitza, I think of like a sheet. Like they hang no, in no, 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 no. There would have to be, I, I mean, a solid, a solid wall, making it into two houses, right? You, you can have a big house that could be divided into two houses, right? There. Yeah. If he doesn't give her a get and he's like, gives her a barrier to... Be married, so the court may take away his property and give it all to her. 
Excellent, excellent question. Uh, the answer is, and this is a problem with New York Etla number one, New York Etla number one says husband can't file for divorce unless he removes the barrier. But sometimes she may want to file for divorce because she wants a divorce. She wants a civil divorce. So when she files, then a divorce will be granted even if he didn't remove the barrier. You see, in other words, and therefore, if he just waits it out, she'll eventually want to get a divorce. And then New York Get Law Number One is not going to protect her at all. But that's where New York Get Law Number Two comes in. Do, do you see that, that? That's the difference. So New York Get Law Number Two basically says whether he files or she files, even if she's the one that wants the divorce, the court will take away his property. Now. The problem with New York Etla number two, I hope if you're following this, is wait a second. New York Etla number one simply took away, denied the husband a new thing that he wanted, a divorce. And Rav Moshe Feinstein said, that's not coercion. But New York Etla number two is what? Taking away property he owns. So the problem is, Rabbi Yashiv, great, great rabbi here in Eretz Yisrael, when he was asked about this law, said, any man that gives a get, because she has a judgment that says, if he doesn't give a get, he loses his house, is a get that is given under compulsion, and it's an invalid get. So paradoxically, New York get law number two would actually produce invalid gets, which of course an invalid get doesn't help a woman in any in any way at all. Uh, and therefore, uh, Rebel Yashiv's ruling was a woman cannot try to get her get under New York at Lord Matu. She can't ask for that property forfeiture. Uh, other rabbis consider it to be legitimate, so, uh, but as I say, um, I think most postgame have a problem with New York at law number two. Okay, so this is a very important and interesting idea that secular laws can have serious halachic consequences. Meaning a secular law that is designed to help a woman could actually result in a puzzle get. A puzzle get, a get that is no, that is no good. A get that is no good does not help a woman if she marries with a get that is no good She's still committing adultery because she's married, and her children from the second marriage are going to be mamzers. That's correct. Do some people hold that the get law, the second one's fine? Yes. Yeah, so the RCA, the same people who gave you the prenup agreement, the RCA right. as an organization also feels the second law is fine. Is that what kind? What is yeah. the RCA? Okay, so I'll tell you what the RCA because I, I actually I actually am a member of the RCA. The RCA is Rabbinical Council of America. It is a 900-member group of Orthodox rabbis, and it's a, so it's a very large group, uh, and they're very diverse, meaning in the RCA, you have uh, what you call modern, very modern Orthodox rabbis, you have yeshiva Orthodox rabbis, and you have Chabad rabbis. Uh, so many, of, you know, many different rabbis are there, but the largest component are what you call modern Orthodox rabbis. So often... 
Um, I, 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 you know, I don't know off the top of my head, but there are many, many Chabad, <laughs> you know, many Chabad rabbis are in the RCA. Uh, it's, a, it's a good organization, but I just want to point out, when the RCA as an organization does something, that does not mean every rabbi approves of what the RCA does. They tend to have a more modern orientation. For example, the RCA as an organization supports organ donation, which we'll get to next week which most of the traditional, more orthodox rabbis are not in favor of. Uh, the RCA supports the prenup. In fact, they drafted the prenup, which many are in favor of, but many are not, including members of the RCA. The RCA supports New York Law number two, although I can tell you for sure that many, much more, more that are, more are against New York Law number two, even if they support the prenup. The prenup is much less of a shaila than New York at law number uh, number two. So just because the RCA endorses something, that does not mean 900 rabbis support it. In fact, the way the voting works, a little inside information here, uh, typically most of the members of the RCA, I include myself, are very inactive members. We don't, we don't vote yes or no in anything. So like most organizations, there tend to be around 200 people that really care. So if you have 200 people who really care and 101 vote for something, that becomes the majority vote. So really, when something is said to be the RCA position in an organization of 900 rabbis, it might only be 101 rabbis. You see, that that's the way organizations work because when you have inactive members, I mean, this is true with everything. It's true with the presidential election. I mean, that, that that's how uh, everything works. Uh, you know, uh, you only count the people who vote, and uh, then you take a majority of that, and that determines it. What's the? I'm, 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 I'm not giving an excuse why I'm inactive. That's a separate question. <laughs> but um, but that's the issue. Most of the rabbis of the RCR are not that involved in the organization. Yeah. What's the legal name of the New York Law? Uh, yes. Well, it's Domestic Relations Act, Section Two Fifty Three, is uh, New York Get Law Number One. And then I don't remember the, the exact citation for the second one. I, I, could, I could send it to you. But. The domestic relations. No, it's domestic relations law. There's a whole domestic relations code. And uh, if you Google barrier to remarriage, both of those sections will come up. New York law, barrier to remarriage. That'll, that'll get you the sections. Yeah. The rabbi, Eliashin, is that Yes, Israel, Rabbi Yashin. Yes. Who says that the second one is a form of coercion. Yeah. Would he say that a get is invalid just because it's it's obtained in the state of New York and he might have known about this law? Ah, okay. Excellent. Wow, wow, wow. Great, 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 great point. There's a big rabbi in New York. Um, you should know about him. His name is, uh, he goes with the initial J, J. David Bleich, Yehuda David Bleich. He's, I don't know, I didn't see it in the library here, but he, if you ever have to do a paper on halacha, he wrote like six or seven volumes in English called Contemporary Halachic Problems. Like This is like the best set of books on modern halacha. He goes through everything, you know, surrogate mother, he goes through every halachic shayla, modern shayla. Now he takes the position, he takes the position, this is very strict, that every single get given in the state of New York since 1992 is puzzle. Because since every husband knows that if he wouldn't give a get, she could go to court 
and take away his property, then every get is given under duress. Even if even though, even if he's willing. Now, that's Rabbi Bleich. And Rabbi Bleich says he will not conduct any marriage of a woman that got a get remarried a woman who got a get after nineteen ninety two. Now, now I want to point out that is not Rabbi Yashiv. That is Rabbi Bleich is so extreme here that I have a feeling I'm not, I don't even know if he meant to be serious. Rabbi Yashiv <laughs> Rabbi Yashiv was talking about a case where the woman went to court. And there's a judgment to the man, if you don't give a get, you'll lose your property. Then and only then did Rav Yashiv say that's coercion. If a man gives a get before the woman even goes to court, I think Rav Yashiv would say it's a perfectly fine get. It's only Rabbi Bleich who took it one step to a big, big extreme in which he said no woman has a valid get in the state of New York after 1992. Um, There are many very strict rabbis in New York, right? Uh, I'm saying of like very orthodox communities. Well, you also have very lenient rabbis in New York. No, I'm saying there are like of very orthodox communities and they all get get in New York. They all get? They get gets in New York. Yes. Oh yes, yes, yes. Rabbi, Rabbi like Black, like Rabbi Black too, is very, very extreme. I, I, I don't. As they say, I, I don't even know if he meant. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's correct. Rabbi Black is the only rabbi who takes that position. Okay. Meaning, most rabbis do agree with Rabbi Yashif that if there's a judgment of the court that says give a get or you lose your property, that's a coerced get. But if there's no judgment and he simply gives a get because he's happy to give a get. You know, we're not going to call that coercion because he knows that she could go to court. Yeah. But once the basin gives a ruling and you have to give a get, you could go to this. Correct. Absolutely correct. Uh, as we've said over and over again, the problem with all of these secular laws is it puts the screws on a person without a basin poskening. Uh, if the woman has a decision of a basin, then every coercion is permitted. You could beat a person until he says he wants. So that's always the problem in all of these, so all of these secular It's good in the sense that the law, like you're held accountable according to the Yes, yes. So the, so the law works fine. Rebel Yashiv wouldn't have a problem. Wait, um, would, yeah. does Rebel Black have a problem? If based in past? No, he would not. Right. He would not. So he would not, he would not, not every... Yeah, I, I understand. I understand. Yeah. Uh, I understand. But... Uh, Yes, so it wouldn't be every case. It would not be every case, but it would be any case where a basin didn't give a... But most orthodox people... Do not follow them. Yeah, 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 that's correct. I'm saying most orthodox people also are getting... are going to the basin first. And getting, I think, no? Um, I just see it, maybe not. Well, not necessarily, because in a lot of cases... See, this is where Rari Bleich is kind of bizarre. In a lot of cases... The husband gives a get without. Go- I, mean, I mean, they go to a basin to write the get, but they don't go to the basin to adjudicate that he has to give a get because oh, he's willing to give a get. They're both willing. Right. So Rabbi Black is creating a crazy scenario that the husband who's willing to give the get yeah, is acting under crazy. coercion. That's pretty crazy. Because yeah. in most cases, they don't. I mean, the husband is willing. She doesn't even have to go to basin. Right. And that's where he says you got a problem. I mean, that's right. very, very crazy. Alrighty, so I feel we should uh, we should make a seum. It's like we finished a tractate of Wait, the next week, of the Talmud here. So next week, new topic. They coming, but the only class class stop him on Monday. But you, we have a we have a class.
I think. Do yeah, we have we coffee? Do. Yeah, we have. Okay, well, so I'll, I'll give you a one uh, a one shot topic. Yeah. Uh, okay. So we so our next uh, subject, which was which is a number of subjects, medical. will be medical yeah. medical ethics. Uh, we have organ donation. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. sure. More, I mean, like for pain, pain relief, yes. and we yeah. discussed that last year in seminary. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course, of course, of course. Uh, treatment of terminally ill, organ donation, donation, cloning, surrogate motherhood, egg donation. Yeah. Uh, DNRs. Yeah, DNRs. The what? The research and nanotechnology. Okay, that that would be good. Yeah. Okay. Alrighty. It'll be. We'll have a good good week. Yeah, I know. I'm going to have a conversation about his divorce case yesterday. It's like 14. Yeah, it's just a little.